London's Metropolitan Police Chief faces down calls to resign over her forces handling of a vigil for the murdered woman Sarah Everard. Brazil's Operation Car Wash is back under the spotlight with the return to politics of former President Lula da Silva. And the Oscar nominations are out. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. It's Monday, the 15th of March, and I'm Carlotta Rubello. I'm joined here in Studio One at Midori House in London by our regular Monday power duo, Monocle's editor-in-chief Andrew Tuck and Monocle 24's culture correspondent Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Welcome both back to the show. Uh, Andrew, I know you spent today reworking the order of a new Monocle <laughs> project. You've been very busy this afternoon. Can you give our listeners a sneak peek of what's happening on the editorial floor? Uh, well, we have uh, another book going to uh, print. We, we're doing four books a year now in partnership with Thames and Hudson. And we've uh, just had our, our book of Italy. But we have a book of uh, the home that's coming out. We did do a book about this topic a few years ago. It was very successful. And we've shot so many places and visited so many new uh, homes since then. It was it was time to return to the topic. And I must say, it's, it's one of those things that makes you very... Um, I don't know, just a bit kind of disappointed with your own life after you've looked at it. You kind of look through all these amazing homes and these extraordinary gardens. And not because they're about wealth or anything. It's just that people have such good, clever taste and you see how people live. It's very enticing. So I was uh, a great process reviewing it, but it did make you want to go home and kind of reorder your house a little bit afterwards. Nothing wrong with a bit of inspiration, (laughs) Andrew. (laughs) Fernando, I guess it wouldn't be a normal Monday these days if you didn't stay up all night yesterday (laughs) watching something. How great were the Grammys? It was fantastic, right? I, I, I could see you were watching some of the kind of video clips. And it's interesting, Carlotta, everything happens on a Sunday. It's the third Sunday in a row that I had to go to bed at 5 a.m. The Golden Globes, the Megan interview, and now the Grammys. I mean, but it's interesting. I mean, we, you know, the Golden Globes they were not very good this year. The ratings were quite bad. But I think the Grammys were actually quite nice. And actually, and a lot of the artists were there in Los Angeles. And I think that made a difference. They were still kind of socially distanced, you know, wearing masks. But it still kind of work was quite intimate and and you know i thought it was actually a pl- very pleasant show ending I, with that great bts <laughs> show at the top of a kind of a building it was quite performing cool. from seoul was actually an amazing production it was really nice and i guess after a year of barely any uh mu- live music the Grammys focusing mostly on live music rather than the awards. I think it was just perfect. We needed that. (laughs) Well, thank you both for joining us uh, today here on the Late Edition. Well, let's begin right here in the UK, where the head of London's Metropolitan Police Force, Cressida Dick, says she won't step down over the police tactics used at a vigil for a murdered woman called Sarah Everard. Officers handcuffed women and removed them from crowds on Clapham Common in the south of the city on Saturday. Let's have a listen to what the police chief had to say. Unfortunately, later on, uh, we had a really big crowd that gathered, lots of speeches, uh, and uh, quite rightly, as far as I can see, my team felt this is now an unlawful gathering, uh, which poses a considerable risk to people's health, uh, according to the regulations. Uh, A really invidious position for my officers to find themselves in, um, but they then moved to try to explain to people, to engage with people, to get people to disperse from this unlawful gathering. And many, many, many people did. Unfortunately, a small minority did not. 
That was the Metropolitan Police Chief, Cressida Dick. Uh, Andrew, perhaps first you could put the story in context for our international listeners and kind of explain why it has gained so much traction here in the UK. Well, it's a, a terrible, tragic story. It's the story of this woman, Sarah Everard, who's 33, a marketing executive. She was walking home after seeing a friend and she walked across a, a big piece of open space here in London called Clapham Common and she seemingly vanished. And so in the, the subsequent days, there was lots done to try and trace her. And eventually they arrested a man who's now been charged with her murder, this man, Wayne Cousins, who's a serving police officer. So I think this is what really brought it home to people is that you, this is right in the centre of London or just outside the centre of London. This is a police officer potentially involved uh, in her disappearance and murder. And I think that many women suddenly came forward to tell their stories and say, look, the moment that she was walking across the, the heath, or across the, the common, that we do that all the time because at the moment you you don't feel you should be getting in an Uber, you don't feel you should be getting on the bus, it feels safer to, to walk everywhere. But the the downside is if you're walking after dark or even during the daylight, you, know, you, you put yourself at greater risk. And, and I think many women also came forward to tell their stories and that's been the interesting bit is, is I guess in the past people have said, okay, here's what you can do to keep yourself safe. And the nice flip in the narrative this time is is I think a lot of young women are just saying why should I do anything to keep myself safe how about a piece of behavioral change by men so that we don't feel we have to change our behavior it, it that that isn't the that isn't the issue and then lastly just on this policing um, issue that so there was an attempt to organize an, uh, uh, an event they they went to court the police and in the end, a judge said, look, I don't want to get involved. You know, Sort it out between yourselves what you think is acceptable. So they knew people were going to turn up at, at the common. But it seems to be this, this breaking point when they, they, they felt it was turning into an event and speeches were being made that they intervened. Now, it, it looks as though it was terribly heavy-handed. And don't forget, just earlier in the day, Kate Middleton, of all people, had been there laying flowers. It's, it's not like some, it, it was something that, that was, should have been that scary to police officers. But they are in a complicated position because they're, they're meant to be policing these COVID rules as well. So all the people who have been fined, they haven't been fined for violence, they've been fined for breaking the COVID rules. And in the past, what we've had, and sorry for dragging this out, but I think it's important to know is that we had the, the Black Lives Matters demonstrations during a period of COVID. And before that, we had many of the extinction um, rebellion uh, events that closed down the city prior to that. So sometimes you get the, the, the government saying with the Extinction Rebellion, for example, the police should have waded in there and stopped the whole thing. Even with Black Lives Matters, there was like lots of the paper saying, how, how, how dare they allow these events to go on when they weren't doing social distancing? And now with this, this one, the, the, the police have been a little bit heavy handed. And then the, now that they've got the government, even Boris Johnson saying he's uncomfortable with it. So there, it's always a, a slightly complicated position policing, but it does seem that they were, were, were heavy handed. Anyway, that's the background. But, you know, to be honest, it shouldn't be me speaking. Carlos, you know, you're a woman here in London. I, I, it would be good to know what your perspective was. I'm not going to lie. It was a really tough week last week because, well, the irony of it all, it started with International Women's Day on Monday. Then Tuesday, we had the Meghan Markle interview with remarks on the press about not believing a woman, talking about her experiences with suicide. Then more details emerged about this case and 
it became the suspicion that a police officer might be involved. So the p- people that you supposedly as a woman go to for help and then ended with the violence at this vigil. And throughout the whole week, my WhatsApp groups were constantly busy with messages from groups of friends, not just women, but thankfully, because it's important to move the discourse beyond just us, talking about, you know, shared experiences and how this story, I think the Sarah Everard story resonates with so many women in London, because it's something we all do to, you know, walk home um, at nine o'clock after going to a friend's house for dinner and you live just around the corner. She did all the things that we are meant to do here between inverted commas. The, she called her partner on the way, said how far away she was. She wasn't, you know, we- she was wearing bright uh, clothing, didn't have any loud music on, all the things that we learned. I mean, I remember I was about 12 years old when my own mother had the conversation with me for the first time about how to carry my keys in a way that I can use them as a weapon, how to, if I think I'm being followed, to try to walk past buildings with windows so that I can use them as mirrors to confirm if someone is following me and if that's the case, what to do, go into a nearby shop, pretend you know someone in a group and ask them for help. And I've had to do do that in the past. I've had occasions where I was pretty sure I was being followed on public transport and approached a group at a platform to say, I think I'm being followed, can you pretend you know me? And they might have saved me. Or I've had times where I'm walking home, I'm listening to my music, I'm really happy, and as soon as it becomes to be the streets are a bit emptier or darker, I immediately remove on headphone, pause the music so it looks like I'm listening to it, but I'm actually, you know, in tune with my surroundings. And I, you know, grab my keys as a weapon. And I do that every day. And it's horrible when you think about that. That is so ingrained into our nature if you are a woman living in a city that that's something you have to do and obviously it's not just something that happens in London it happens in any you know city in the world but as you said Andrew it is really amazing to see the argument change from what can I do to protect myself it's like actually I've been doing that since I was 12 it's time for maybe the people that cause this violence to us to ask, what can I do not to be violent towards a woman as a change? And I know that this has also prompted um, the argument on, you know, it's not all men. Yeah, but you don't know which of them. And obviously, I know a lot of men who I'm pretty sure would never do anything bad to a woman and uh, that I trust with all my life. But if you don't know anyone crossing the street, how, how can you tell, you know, the times that I think, did I get too much into my own head thinking that someone was following me just because, you know, is a man walking behind me for 20 minutes when he might just be a neighbor, you know, but you have no idea in the dark. Or when someone sits next to you in public transport, are they just accidentally touching your leg or is it on purpose? And you kind of freeze on those moments. And that has happened so many countless times um, that, yeah, it's a, I don't even know if I wanted to recall all of those stories it wouldn't fit on in this show. Um, but that's the reality. And I think that's why this story has resonated so so much with so many women in London. And I think that the, 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 the list there that you give are the, the, the things that you do on a daily basis. And I think that's the bit that you, that, you know, the men don't realise how many things you're doing. You know, look, we all take some precautions in the city, but that's mm-hmm. you know, off, off the, the charts for what you know most men would do and i think the other funny thing is you know that it's still you know 
there's still a kind of a kind of behavior baked into being a guy in the city you know after a couple of drinks that people think it's funny to kind of like shout after a woman or to roll down the window of their car and and try to engage a, a woman in some banter and what what's 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 interesting about that is you know that you know maybe this is just some drunk stupid guy who who would never do anything but it's exactly the same thing as you say. You just don't know, and that's why it's. You, I, th- I don't think that a lot of people who are involved in this this you know in, in terrible behaviour don't realise the consequences of, of even those actions. And as you said, that you know, and this is. I think this is what really brought it home to everybody. You say, and even then, if you're feeling really nervous and you go running up to a police officer to ask their help, you know, in this instance. It could have been Wayne Cousins, yeah, who is now you know, allegedly uh, the murderer and has been charged with the crime. And the fact as well, for example, from when I was looking at the images and the footage emerging of the vigil, and of course the violence was horrible, and let's not go into that, but the f- pictures, like an image really can tell a thousand words, and that photo of a young woman, a redhead woman, like being slammed into the ground by four police officers almost defiantly looking into the camera, which made most newspapers the next day, that was the picture everyone chose, was so powerful. But the footage of when the police started to circle in and they were um, walking on top of the flowers that had been put there earlier in the day, we need to remember this wasn't a protest, it was a vigil, a vigil that turned violent. The protest happened the next day to protest the violence. But this was a vigil. This was, you know, women that have gone through what I described and worse, trying to come together and mourn, you know, something that's our reality. And I had thought about going there with my flatmates. And then the Metropolitan Police said, you shouldn't avoid going to Clapham Common because of COVID regulations. So we ended up attending the one near Hackney, which was a much smaller one, just like some flowers, lit up a candle, lit up some candles in our windowsill, because that's what they said we should do if you couldn't attend. And it's just this sense of being powerless that but, overtakes you before we move on just one other time i think you the interesting thing about this you know and there's loads of interesting things but as a just as you know being a, a journalist here the other interesting thing is you know that the home secretary is a woman and the, the, the head of the police uh, is, is a woman so yeah it is about power structures and it is about the behavior of men it, certainly in this instance but it sh- shows you also that it's not just enough you know mm. if you switch a few people and they're they're women it's like there's a cultural thing which is bigger than that which is more complicated than that and that's the thing that we're going to find out there's going to be a, there's going to be an investigation there's going to be a review of the policing measures that were taken but there there's there are more interesting things that I think will come out of this and, and about the policing, which is, 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 is not as simple as just changing a few people's roles. I find it quite interesting as well, the survival skills that women have to go through, because funnily enough, I mean, the week where everybody was talking about Sarah Everett, I've been through an experience actually with my mother that was quite haunting because that's what happened to, to women daily, as we can see. I was literally on the phone with her Friday um, and, you know, she was on the parking. We're just having a normal chat. And suddenly a man started harassing her. Not not a robber. And she was talking to me. And, th- and then I, I, she changed her tone. And she was like, my husband. She was she doesn't have a husband. But she was saying, oh, my, my husband is coming. My husband is coming here. And I was like, mom, what's happening? And she was so nervous that... And the connection dropped. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, I know, you know, horrible things can happen. And then she was inside a supermarket. And she was like, sorry, I had to run away from this man. That he was trying to take some advantage of her. And I was like, 
that, that's quite shocking, actually. I mean, as you rightly said, Carlotta, you have your own survival skills. I mean, you saw you being followed by someone. You need to ask for help. You, you, I don't know. You, you have your keys or whatever you have uh, to help. So, yeah, it is, it, is, it is quite striking how common it is as well. I mean, literally every single woman has an experience of that, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. And, of course, I think it gets... Uh it will get easier with conversations like this happening, exactly. you know, and the more stories like this come up. Um, but let's move on for now on the late edition. And you were just speaking there about your mother who's in Brazil. So let's exactly head over there to Brazil, uh, where we saw the return of Lula da Silva, the former president, to the political arena last week after his corruption convictions were nulled by a Supreme Court judge. What does that mean for the image of the Operation Car Wash in the country? Well, the anti-corruption operation was highly lauded by many Brazilians at the time. Well, first, let's hear from Gaspard Estrada, the executive Executive Director of the Political Observatory of Latin America on the dark side of Operation Car Wash. Democracy and the rule of law has been undermined by this operation because now we know that Moro and the prosecutors had a political objective and that objective was to avoid the Lula da Silva's candidacy in the 2018 election. So for me, it's pretty clear that this political objective actually was a very bad thing because at the end, the uh, prosecutors and the judge were empowered by a very strong legislation fight against corruption, but they perverted these institutional advances in order to political objective. And I think that's part of this operation. Gaspar de Estrada there, speaking to us earlier on The Globalist. Uh, Fernando, initially Operation Car Wash was welcomed by most Brazilians and almost something that they were proud of. Bring us up to speed. What happened that discredited it so much? Yeah, it changed very much. I mean, of course, there's always been the critics of Operation Car Wash in Brazil. They're saying they were go hunting after a particular political party. But the majority of Brazilians, they were very happy with it because, of course, we have a massive problem of corruption. Uh, you know, if you ask Brazilians what's our worst problem, I think quite a lot of a lot of them would say uh, that is corruption. But the thing is, there's been quite a lot of reports and leaked messages uh, in recent months, I must add, saying that Sergio Moro, you know, he was not completely neutral uh, during the operation. Of course, he was the main judge uh, there in the case, you know, so sometimes he was actively, you know, directing prosecutors in the case. He was trying to control a few pieces here and there. And I think that's one of the reasons as well, you know, why, you know, the, the sentences against Lula, they were nudes in a way. I'm not saying here, you know, that Lula, you know, he didn't commit any crimes whatsoever. It's just that it became quite clear that the Operation Car Wash, they were, you know, they were going for against a political group. Uh, and what happened is he became the justice minister of Brazil uh, when Bolsonaro won. That's very dodgy. I mean, a lot of people say this doesn't really happen, you know, because that means he kind of helped Bolsonaro mm. be in power because when Lula was in jail, he was ahead in the polls. I mean, at the beginning of the year, he was kind of the only candidate that could actually confront Bolsonaro and win. Uh, so, you know, it, it is very dodgy. I think we're going to see a lot of developments in the next months uh, about this. It, Brazil and corruption is a very long story, very complicated, you know, very divisive as well because some people are still very much uh, pro-operation car wash in the country. But yeah, I personally find quite shocking. I think when Bolsonaro, you know, chose Moro as the justice minister, I mean, he's not the minister anymore. I was very shocked. And I think some Brazilians were shocked as well. Uh, so we yeah, had the operation, unfortunately, is discredited. I say unfortunately, 
because corruption, you know, still there is a massive problem in the country. And, you know, it's so ingrained, I think, in almost so many political parties. So it's quite sad in that sense. Uh, Andrew, all of this, and I guess even looking back at, you know, the Bolsonaro years now, including the handling of COVID-19, it really has taken a turn in how the world sees Brazil and its standing internationally. Well, it hasn't, it hasn't. You know, the thing about the soft power of Brazil and the, the reputation of Brazil is based on the people more than the politicians, I think. So why do people have such a, a soft spot for Brazil? It, it's culture, it's, it's music, it's, it's football, it's, it's samba, it's all those things. And those things are still there. And the nature of Brazilians, people who have been there and the... The, the beach life and all those things, those haven't been been changed. It's not a country that only trades on its you know its political nows or its, its kind of its, its 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 business reputation, for example. But I think what it has lost is you know we're in a period of climate change where people are asking for action, and you have a country which could do lots about it but doesn't want to participate in that. We've had denials about COVID from Bolsonaro, and that has led to a situation where now Brazil is in, in a terrible, terrible situation yet again on the COVID front. And, and, and that is, in a large part, you know, his responsibility. And when you come back to this corruption story, it's not just Brazil. This happens everywhere. But because it's been laid bare, I think it does put people off kind of trading with the country long term or thinking that it's a safe place to do business. And from Brazilian friends, it's like when you speak to them, it's like, OK, you know, corruption isn't just at this kind of Petrobras level. It's kind of every little kind of detail of your life. It's not even like paying a bribe. There's just a world of favours, a little bit of cash, a little bit of a, a tip to help somebody, but who, a tip to somebody who's in government, who's in power. And suddenly you, you're, you're caught up in this web of corruption yourself, even though you're opposed to it. it you know, everything from like not being charged an illegal parking ticket onwards, there's somebody trying to top up their salary. And one thing that I would like to add, I mean, first of all, I thank the words of Andrew because I agree, Brazil's soft power is more than just politics. And, you know, I hope... We keep that side kind of alive for a bit. But let's not forget as well that in the past, I mean, Brazil was a world example when it comes to vaccination. We used to have uh, some prog vaccination programs that were so efficient that we used to send some of our doctors abroad. I mean, to many uh, to countries, uh, for example, like Senegal or India, we used to teach them how to do it. So, you know, we were good in that aspect as well, which we're not anymore. And that kind of makes me quite sad. But again... Things change, you know, uh, who knows, maybe good things will, will, will happen. Let's see. Well, finally today, it's almost time for the Oscars. Just a few hours before we started this programme, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced the nominations for this year's awards. This surely has been a year where we've watched a lot of movies from our own homes, and I, for one, am looking forward to heading back to a cinema as soon as possible. Uh, Fernando, what surprised you on the nominations list? First of all, it's a nice little list. I mean, of course, because the cinemas... They have been closed. There's a lack of kind of that blockbuster film that people will go and watch it. So I have a feeling that the ratings for this year's Oscars is not going to be as big as previous years. But there's some excellent films in there. It's been a very diverse list as well, Carlotta. I mean, the first time that two women directors were nominated in, in, the, in the category. And in fact, Chloe Zhao, uh, she is the director of Nomadland. What a fantastic film. A very, it's like poetry. Poetry 
in the big screen or the small screen, depending on where you're going to watch it. So, you know, I, I, I really like this. Some other great films like Promising Young Woman as well. And, you know, we were discussing even Husavik, the song from the Eurovision Song Contest film, was nominated for Best Original Song. So I, I thought it was quite, quite, a, quite a nice uh, nice list. Shame that quite a lot of the films that haven't even been released here in the UK yet. I was going to ask you that, Andrew, because, you know, I, I don't know if you are or not a follower of the Oscars hype. I mean, I try my best to watch all the nominated films before the awards happen, but so far I'm doing zero for this list. What are your thoughts on it? It's the same. It's like there's so many films that have got such a kind of you know, a following, so many kind of people, you know, out there trying to hope that they win but I have I haven't seen the nominees and it's it's interesting because I think it's a it's a really strong list and and I think you know it picks up the conversation we had at the beginning it's a it's a, a time for change for the Oscars as well and it's, it's reflected in the, the nominees and two women nominated for best director the first time that's ever happened in the 93 years history of the Oscars really interesting people of colour coming through but not done in a tokenistic way it's done just in a way of, of really kind of embracing the, the entirety of the film industry and, and I love there's, there's something quite funny here Glenn Close she was nominated for supporting actress for Hugh Billy Elegy she was actually nominated for worst actress at the Razzies <laughs> uh, you know, the, you know the, for the worst films ever so that's quite unique you know in a way and people are saying she might get her first Oscar but actually for one of the worst films ever but that's, that's an interesting kind of anecdote here for this and, and potentially posthumous Oscar as well for, yeah for Chad Chadwick Bosman as well, yeah, absolutely. So plenty to unpack there. Exactly. I guess we just need to arrange that viewing party. And uh, <laughs> What's going to happen next Sunday, Carlotta? I have to be awake for something, well, right? Well, we shall return next Monday at the same time to find out what you've been watching all evening. Fernando and Andrew, thank you both very much for joining us today on the Late Edition. And a big thank you as well to our studio managers, Steph Chungo and Sam MP. I'm Carlotta Rabello here in London. The Late Edition is back at the same time tomorrow. <laughs>